You're listening to audio from Crossroads Community Church, located in Fogelsville, Pennsylvania. If you want to learn more about C3 and what it is about, you can visit us at c3lehigh.com. And now, for today's sermon. Awesome. Are you ready for the word this morning, church? Hey, we're continuing our series uh, titled Giving, and I, I don't want to uh, go around the, the, the topic. What we're primarily focusing on this morning is the topic of tithing. And can I just be transparent with you for a moment? As a pastor, I hate preaching this topic. A part of the reason why I typically don't enjoy preaching over this topic is because of all of this stigma and the negative views that surround the topic of tithing. And don't act surprised, you know what I'm referring to. Because the church in years past has gotten the reputation of only wanting your... See, you knew. And so there's this stigma, this, there's this perception that follows the church. And so every time I go to talk about this or bring about this, my first prayer is, Lord, may they see the biblical value in this. Amen. Not that the church is a money-hungry, money-making machine. And I understand that there are different institutions and Christian institutions out in the world that have had a reputation. And you've heard the scandals that have happened where finances were misused and abused. And so this morning, I want to acknowledge that I can recognize, I do recognize that this topic can be one of those topics that is painful to acknowledge or discuss. But I also want to recognize that when this topic is discussed biblically, it is beautiful. It is a beautiful topic to discuss when done biblically. And I want to reiterate from uh, a sermon. We started out this series two weeks ago before Tim Enloe came. Wasn't Tim Enloe awesome, by the way? Was that not just, oh my goodness, if you missed it, you need to go back in the online archives and check out the services from last weekend. Absolutely incredible. But I want to highlight some fundamentals a fundamental principle from our series when we first started, because I, I can't believe that this is actually a thing, that this is something that I actually have to bring up. But there's this belief in our society today that tithing is not biblical. Act shocked. Come on. Thank you. Thank you for the one person who was like, this is my time. There's this belief in the world around us that, that tithing isn't biblical, that that's, that's Old Testament. That's not necessary for today. Jesus never talked about tithing. Actually, he did. And so before we start out our, uh, the conversation today that I want to have with you, I first want to preface it with this. Tithing is biblical, expected of Christians, and Jesus approved of tithing. Matthew chapter 23, verse 23 says this, Woe to you, you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. This is Jesus talking, by the way. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. Right there is typically where the counter argument would stop the Bible verse and say, See, it's not required. But if we continue on, we'll understand a little bit more what Jesus was saying. You've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done. And here's the primary focus, friends, without neglecting the others. What are the other things that we shouldn't neglect? Tithing. 
Jesus is kind of saying, of course you would do that. That's assumed that you would tithe, but that you would also operate in these biblical fundamentals, that you would operate in behaviors that exemplify your relationship with Jesus Christ. But of course you would tithe. And to kind of solidify the point this morning, I want to show a clip from an individual named Dave Ramsey. How many of you are familiar with Dave Ramsey? Okay, awesome. Um, he's a, I would describe him as a Christian financial advisor. Um, all of his financial advice is rooted in biblical principles. Here in the next couple months, we're most likely going to be introducing a Dave Ramsey series called Financial Peace University. It discusses how to manage finances responsibly, get out of debt, so on and so forth. So I figured today would be a good opportunity to kind of give you a sample of what Dave Ramsey, his sessions are like. And I have to be honest, I can say this because I have family members who are from Texas. He's from Texas, which means... He is bluntly honest. Would you go ahead and show the video clip? Instructions for giving? Well, the Bible says to give a tenth. Deuteronomy 28 says that. Give a tenth, a tithe of your increase. The word tithe, when you look it up in the Hebrew, means tenth. I had one pastor tell me, he says, well, I tell my people it's okay to tithe 5% when they're getting started. And I said, well, that's okay, but don't tell them to tithe 5% because that's mathematically impossible. You can't tenth the twentieth. <laughs> Just tell them to give an offering until they can get up to that point. I'm all about the grace on this stuff. I'm not a big rule keeper anymore. I, I like the rules because I kind of know what I'm supposed to be doing, but I'm not freaked out about the rules either. So I'm not going to try to tithe, try to tenth the twentieth. It's a tenth. It's a tenth. That's ten percent. Well, is it on the gross or on the net? <laughs> you ever heard that one? This is hilarious. 2.7% of evangelical Christians tithe. Less than 3% of evangelical Christians tithe. And people ask me, gross or net? Who cares? None of you are doing it. <laughs> I, did, I had a big theological awakening. I just figure I'm going to give on the big one, the gross. That way if I get up there and I'm wrong, I'm okay. <laughs> so that's the way of looking at it. The Bible says to do it first, before you do anything else. First fruits, which means off the top. 22 times in Proverbs alone it says first fruits. The Proverbs is written to an agrarian, an agricultural-based culture. So when you're doing a harvest, the very first tenth of the harvest that comes in is off the top. And it goes to the local church, which is a New Testament representation of the Old Testament storehouse. Offerings are different than the tithe. Tithes and offerings are often used in the same sentence. The tithe is 10%. It's before you do anything. It's first fruits. It's off the top. If you look at our budget forms, charitable giving is the number one line on the budget forms. You need to do that before you do anything. Offerings, though, are different. They're above the tithe and are freely given and typically given from surplus. People often quote, and I've even been known to teach on the widow's might, how the widow gave all. But that scripture is misused a lot to say that offerings should be given every time regardless of how broke you are. You're supposed to take care of your own household first or you're worse than an unbeliever. And that means you need to get your tail end out of debt. You'd be tithing off the top. But before you do a bunch of offerings above that, an offering that is not from extra excess money is unusual in scripture. Now I want you to go get you a bunch of extra excess money though so that the offerings go up. I don't want you to just cut everything off. That's not the point. But I have met people who are behind on their house payment, but they're current with the local ministry they promised to support. And that was not the church. That was an offering in a parachurch situation like that. 
And that is not biblical. That's backwards. You're supposed to take care of your own household first. Then you're going to get to those. If you'll do the steps we're talking, you get to do tithes and offerings. You're going to get there, I promise. The tithe is pre-law. Sometimes I'm teaching this and people say, oh, now you're doing that Mosaic law thing. You're going back to the Old Testament and, you know, Moses. And No, I'm not. It's before Moses. Way before Moses. Genesis 14 is the first time the tithe shows up. Abraham is coming across the plains with huge treasures from two cities he had just flattened while he was bailing out his idiot nephew, Lot, yet again. (laughs) Read it, it's in there. That's exactly what happened. And Abraham, here he comes across the plains with all this treasure. This is the first time the tithe appears, Genesis 14. This character comes up that's kind of Melchizedek. He's a little spooky. He has no beginning and no end. He's a priest of Salem, and nobody knows where Salem is. It's a very, very... Some people call that an appearance of Jesus. And I'm not going to get into the theological arguments on it. Basically, an unusual guy shows up here that is a priest. And Abraham bows before him and gives a tithe, a tenth of all the spoils right there. We see it again when Jacob wakes up from his dream where the angels were ascending and descending. You remember that dream? Anybody remember that? Jacob's Ladder, not the movie, the Bible verse. And, and he says, surely the Lord is in this place. And he built a Bethel, an altar there, and gave a tenth of his income, Genesis 28. This is before Moses was a twinkle in his mother's eye. This is not law. This is pre-law. Abraham is the father of the faithful. He was being guided by God's spirit. And that's what this is about. The tithe is in the New Testament. Matthew 23, 23, Luke eleven forty two. both say the same thing. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, and other miscellaneous jerks. For you give a tithe, a tenth of all that you have, and you neglect the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. This you should have done, the tithe, without leaving the others undone, justice, mercy, and faith. You should be doing both. If you have a red-letter Bible, that's Jesus talking. He says you should be doing both. And I, I know there are some denominations and some doctrinal differences on that, and some of your churches don't teach a tithe. They don't teach giving a tenth of your income. And I'm perfectly cool with that because it's not a salvation issue. We're all on the same side here. And if you, want to, if you want to teach whatever, that's fine. But I can tell you this, the people that win are giving. That's the bottom line. And whether you go by a tenth or whether you go by more than a tenth or whether you just... By Dave Ramsey. But how many of you know that what he just said, it makes sense? It makes sense. If you would turn with me to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses uh, 10 through 12 is where we're going to be picking up today. I'm sorry, that's 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. This morning we're going to be going over six principles to put into practice when tithing. Six principles to put into practice when tithing. The first is this, give what we can even if it is not what we desired. Give what we can even if it is not what we desired. And I'll explain that in a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verses 10 through 12 says this, And here's my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. What is Paul talking about here? Have you ever made a commitment that was bigger than yourself? Two of you. Okay. Dad's in the room. Have you ever started a project that you said, I'll get done this week, and here we are six months later? All the wives in the room are like, preach it! 
where you start out a project with good intention, but completing it, something happened, there was interruptions, whatever the case may be, and that unfinished project still stands. This is what Paul is talking about, but with tithing, with giving, is that there was a church that promised to give an over and beyond kind of gift, something that was bigger than them, but whenever they stepped out in faith, they didn't bring wisdom along with them. And so now they're held to this gift by guilt and shame, even though they no longer have the means to do it. And here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, I want to relieve you of the guilt and shame that you've been carrying, because if you're carrying guilt and shame when tithing, you're missing the point completely. It's a powerful verse. Sometimes, as I mentioned, we step out in faith, but we neglect wisdom And I want to say that both are important when tithing. Can I hear an amen? Amen. I also want to say that there's also an equal lack of wisdom when we say it's not convenient to give right now as a license to not tithe. That's also missing the point completely. Paul is teaching this church. He's saying, I want you to give out of joy. I want you to give out of a heart of worship. And this is a concept that is foreign to us in the American church, because when we worship, it doesn't cost us anything. That's privilege. In other countries, when they worship, if they do it vocally, they come at risk of being heard and therefore persecuted. Their worship comes at a cost. In the Old Testament, worship always came at a cost. You had to bring an offering as a sign of worship. But again, this is a concept to us where worship and sacrifice have been separated, but biblically the two go together. And it's very hard for us to understand that tithing is biblical because we believe that God calls us to do things that don't require sacrifice. Can I tell you that the opposite is true? That if you want to grow in your relationship with the Lord, it's worth it, but it comes at a cost. And so Paul is also teaching to give out of joy because we recognize that, yes, it comes at a cost, but it's worth it compared to what God is going to do with what little we give him. And doesn't this fit the pattern of just how good God is? And what I mean by that is like God, God gives us He gives us everything. God is owner of all. How many of you would agree to that? He owns everything. There's two different mindsets that are in the room this morning. There's one mindset that says it's my money and God gets 10%. The other mindset says God owns all. He takes what's his 10% and gives me 90%. Two very different mindsets. And so Paul is trying to get this church to recognize not only to give out of love and joy, but recognize that you can give out of love and joy because you recognize how good God is. Y'all are awfully quiet this morning. Secondly, there should be equal sacrifice throughout the whole body. We're going to skip down to verses... Whenever my notes aren't mixed up. There we go. Uh, 13 through 14. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. 
All of us should carry a shared responsibility when it comes to giving to the church or giving to the cause that Christ has called us to give to. It's not about equal giving, friends. It's about equal sacrifice. And that's why the rule of 10% is so beautiful because regardless of the amount, it is an equal sacrifice for us all because it is based off of 10%. I heard a story one time of a pastor who was leading the way for a building project, which is going to be us soon, by the way. And he's leading the way for this building project, and he tells his congregation, he says, listen, there's 250 of us here. If we all give $1,000, that's $250,000. Let's do it. And that sounded great, but the problem was is that's not biblical. Because to some, that amount is just like giving a few dollars. To others, it's all that they had. And this practice neglected the biblical principle that it is not about how much we are giving. It's about the fact that we're united and how much we are sacrificing. That is why the 10% rule of thumb is just so beautiful because it gives us all common ground that no matter what the amount, no matter how much our income is, so on and so forth, we know what it's like to equally sacrifice. There should be equal sacrifice throughout the whole body. That's what Paul is teaching us in these verses. And therefore, we can have unity as the body of Christ in what we accomplish. And how many of you would recognize that in today's time, more than ever, unity is a powerful, uncommon thing? How do we establish unity in the body? I would look to tithing and giving to build that foundation. Number three, we need assurances that offerings given will be properly handled and administrated. That's the whole focus of verses 16 through 24. 2 Corinthians verses 16 through 24. Thanks be to God who put in the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he, he is coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. And we are sending along with him the brother who is praised by all churches for his service to the gospel. What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering, which we administer in, or in order to honor the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. Verses 20. We want to avoid any criticism of the way that we administer this liberal gift, for we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the, in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of man. That last line, I want you to focus in on that. For we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of man. What is Paul talking about? He's talking about handling finances with godly stewardship, integrity, and character. And friend, those characteristics are in rare supply in our nation. That is why it is imperative for us as a church to ensure that we are always handling finances with godly stewardship because we recognize the abuse of finances outside of the house of God. Paul is teaching that good stewardship over the administration of offerings is vital. He says we want to avoid any criticism. 
in the eyes of the Lord, that's powerful. We want to avoid any criticism in the eyes of the Lord. I love the way that Paul is piecing this together by saying, first, I'm accountable to God, and secondly, I'm accountable to man, and I want to make sure that I live my life and organize this in such a fashion that I bring pleasure to both. How do we handle finances as a church? I just want to build some confidence in our church for a moment and how we handle finances. First is this, we have multiple people in the room that count finances. Anytime there are checks, offerings collected, there are multiple people in that room to hold one another accountable. Every check requires two to three names at least. Checks cannot be signed and walk out of this house unauthorized. They require two to three signatures apiece. Me personally, I have to report to our district once a month where I give them a financial overview where they know how much is coming in, how much is going out, and where finances are going, where they're being poured into. And before I can even report to them, I also have to get permission for spending from our district to make sure that everything is being done biblically. Anytime our offerings are counted, not only are there two or three people in the room, but there's typically a security personnel who's nearby in case somebody wants to steal from the Lord and meet him that day. (laughs) Sorry, that's not exactly politically correct. (laughs) This sermon sponsored by Smith & Wesson. Okay. Um... There must be a sense of accountability, though, throughout the entire body, that we're not just practicing it as a uh, leadership staff or people who are in leadership positions, but accountability is a theme that is required for all of us. But Paul's point is it is vital for a church to exemplify accountability. And friends, I don't need to go into the specifics this morning on what happens whenever finances are abused in the church. And my goodness, I'm sure you deal with that stigma, that image is almost as much as I do where every news outlet, whenever somebody stumbles and falls and misuses or abuses finances in a nonprofit, specifically a church, the newsreels play it over and over. They're relentless. And isn't it kind of funny how news people almost get pleasure and joy out of exposing corruption in churches? Like they get personal gratification from it. Oh, it drives me nuts. But it's so vital now more than ever that we exemplify not that image, but a godly one. Amen, church? So what does accountability look like in your own household? We've discussed and given some examples of what accountability looks like in a church context. You see some of the protocols and how we handle finances and so on and so forth. And someday as we gather our membership, we plan on having membership business meetings where our membership will get an overview of the finances. Accountability the whole way around. But I also want to challenge you and ask you spouses, how are you holding one another accountable when it comes to the practice of tithing? Husbands. Are you being held accountable? Wives, are you being held accountable when it comes to first fruits and tithing? 
Are we making sure that, I, that, that, my goodness, are we making sure that our tithe is going into the storehouse on a weekly basis and holding one another accountable, saying, hey, don't forget those little reminders. I remember at my, my first youth pastor position, we had a snow day and I started hearing jokes around the office about how tithing was going to be down that day. And I, I'm like, that, that's a joke, right? That's not literal. And they're like, no, when there's a snow day, people take the day off. Okay, what scripture verse is that out of? First Hall Path, First Hall Pass, chapter 20, verses 32. But that tells me that there's a lack of accountability in that. When I heard the statistic from Dave Ramsey, I couldn't believe it. 3% of evangelicals? Are you kidding me? That tells me that there's a lack of accountability in the body. Can we promise to one another, spouses especially, and if you're not married, if you're single, to have a family member, can we promise to give somebody in our life that we trust permission to hold us accountable? Can we do that, church? There's a concern that I have that many Christians give to extravagant causes and neglect the most basic fundamental needs of a church or a community, and that they give to extravagant causes that don't have accountability financially. It's a concern of mine. Is that there's many Christians out there who neglect the needs of the local church where their ministry is primarily based out of to give to organizations or nonprofits, whatever the case may be, who have zero accountability financially. And they give because the person in charge of that organization or ministry really knows how to get people to give. My point is this, church. Make sure that the storehouse that you give to exemplifies financial stewardship. I want to say that again. Make sure that the storehouse that you give to exemplifies financial stewardship. Paul is teaching us this, that financial stewardship matters. Number four, generosity produces generosity. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we're going to skip to 9, verses 2 through 5. Generosity produces generosity. For I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year you and Achaia were ready to give, and here it is, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. Have you ever met somebody who's inspiring I have to laugh because it, it, the Lord always gives me sermon illustrations the day of. And this morning we were gathered around up here getting ready for uh, prayer. And somebody who's on our ministry team was celebrating in the back because they uh, just got a house. And in this real estate, hey, yeah. And in this real estate climate, you know what that's like. And so she came in celebrating, and one by one, our ministry team just started laughing. Why? Because enthusiasm, excitement is contagious. And so it is with generosity. Have you ever seen somebody give to a cause and it just inspired something in you? 
Have you ever heard of the term pay it forward? Man, I'll never forget the first time that I experienced pay it forward. I didn't understand it and I messed up the chain of pay it forward. I'm going through the most overpriced coffee line ever at Starbucks where you can get a small latte for $29.99. And I'm in line and I pull up to the window and the, per- the, the lady's looking at me and she goes, well, your order's paid for. And I'm like, that's, that's awesome. Cool. Awesome. That's, that's great. And she's like looking at me like I should be saying something else. And I'm looking at her and she's looking at me and she's like, and the window just kind of closes. What is this lady's problem? And so I'm sitting there, I'm like, somebody paid for my coffee. That's, that's really, that's really nice, man. Maybe I should pay for somebody else's order. I'm just kind of sitting there and the window opens up and I get a phone call and I hop on the phone and I'm like, Hey, thank you so much. And I start to pull out. She goes, pay it forward. I'm like, okay, lady. And so I call my wife. And I'm like, what is pay it forward? And I explain the situation to her. She's like, oh, Donnie. I'm like, oh, my bad. So later on, the way that pay it forward works, by the way, is that you pay it forward. And when somebody pays for something of yours out of generosity, that you reciprocate that generosity and bless somebody else. So I ended up going back later that day out of guilt and shame, unlike what Paul talked about, (laughs) and paying it forward. My, My point is this, is there's viral videos of somebody who goes into a grocery store and they sit down behind the cash register and they have a, a, a prior meeting with the manager of the grocery store and they say, hey, uh, whenever I give you a certain signal or look, I want you to, to run my credit card and pay for that person's grocery order. There's a couple of Christians who specifically do it and they're just kind of waiting on the Holy Spirit promptings. And there's one lady who comes up and, and he gives the manager the signal who's at the checkout. And the manager says, I want you to know that you know, after they finish bagging all of it, he says, I want you to know that somebody um, decided to just bless you today and, and your whole grocery order is paid for. The woman just breaks down and begins to express. She said, I had no idea how I was going to pay for this. I had no idea how I was going to pay for the credit card bill. So you have stories like that. You have viral stories of pay it forward where somebody starts it at one business and a week later, People are still carrying on paying for one another's order. Friends, my point is this. If the world understands generosity, creates more generosity, how much more should the church understand that principle? If the world gets it and creates these things called pay it forward, if they understand that, How much more should we be inclined as the body of Christ to be that much more generous? Paul later in this verse says, maintain the joy because if you don't, a negative view about giving is rooted in selfishness. And Paul says, furthermore, what Paul is doing is he's setting up protective parameters saying nothing kills the spirit of generosity like selfishness. 
Nothing will kill the atmosphere of generosity and an atmosphere of blessing one another like having the wrong spirit when it comes to giving. Nothing will kill a worthy project like folding our arms and more often than not, a chain reaction goes off and a worthy project that was set to make a kingdom impact is no longer meeting needs and discipleship isn't happening. The lost aren't being reached and all of this is rooted because of grumpy Christians who didn't understand scripture. Again, your enthusiasm in giving is contagious. This morning, can I challenge you as we head towards our close? Can I challenge you this morning to recognize your influence? It's one of the most beautiful gifts that God gives us. He gives us influence when we live out biblical principles. They, the biblical principles inspire others, impact others, touch other people's hearts where your actions carry so much influence that sometimes you can preach the gospel without ever having to say a word. Recognize your influence, church, because there's a world around us who needs it. If the world around us understands and gets the concept and the gift of giving, that it'll inspire and change other people's lives and maybe give them a better day, a better quality of life, whatever it may be. If the, if the world around us gets, a, it gets that biblical principle without even recognizing that it's biblical, by the way, how much more should we be rooted in that truth? generosity and enthusiasm bespeaks generosity and enthusiasm. Number five, those who reap bountifully sowed bountifully. Second Corinthians chapter nine, verses six says this, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, here's the deal. We think of tithing sometimes in our mindset of, all right, Lord, I expect a 70% return on the dollar. <laughs> Bless the Lord. Hallelujah. Here's my 10 you give me 80. And we look at God as kind of a slot machine where we put the tithe in and then we wait. Oh, that Ferrari's coming, Lord. I can feel it. (laughs) And we turn tithing into this whole manipulation of God's will weird thing. But my question to you this morning is notice that it says, It doesn't say whoever sows financially sparingly. It doesn't say whoever sows financially generously will also reap financially generously. My point is this, is God is bigger than your finances. So when the return comes, nobody said that it's going to be financially. God's bigger than that. I thank God that he's like, oh, all I, can, I, I, all I know how to do is finances. <laughs> he's bigger than that. Amen. So your return could come spiritually. Yeah. 
I mean, we see that with Paul. The guy gives so much. You know what his return was? He got a tour of heaven. That's a return that I want. God's bigger than we can ever think of or imagine. So his return in your life is going to be bigger than the way that you invested in what he's told us to invest in. The reality is, and I got to be honest, sometimes what we sow, we won't reap till heaven. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. But the point is this. The Lord has many ways of giving back to us. Maybe financially. It's happened. There's testimonies all in this room. But also entertain the idea that maybe heavenly. Maybe spiritually. Worship team, would you come? Number six, verses 12 through 15. Giving should result in praise being given to God. Giving, tithing, offerings, the result of that seed being sown, some of the fruit that we should see here and now before us, not having to wait till heaven, is praise is given to God. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, now we're on to verses 12 through 15, and I would encourage you, if you want to do an in-depth study, if you want to continue this on tithing, go to these chapters in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. Paul just, I could preach from this for six to eight months. There's just so much there. Verses 12 through 15, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people. But it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and everyone else. And in their prayers for their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his incredible gift. Our giving will result in praise being given to God. An example of tithes that have been given in this house of worship being expressed through praise. A couple Wednesdays ago, I was sitting right about here on the platform, and we've been going through this kind of small group study on Wednesdays, breaking out into discussion groups. Again, I can't emphasize this enough. If you're new to our church, I want to see you get plugged in. Come out on a Wednesday night. There's relationships being built. So we break out in a small group so that we can get to know one another and go through some questions based off of the curriculum. And as I'm sitting here on the platform, I mean, the room is half full and I'm just loving hearing the chatter, just people laughing and, and just sharing what God is doing in their life. And I'm reminded there's that praise. And as I'm sitting here, I can also hear some laughter out in Gary's class where there's a discipleship class happening for those who may be new to their relationship with Christ or want to get back to the fundamentals and understand what what it truly means to be a follower of Jesus. And I can hear discussions out there. 
And I'm just reminded, you know, we ordered in some tables that are out there and so the people could gather around and get to know one another. And I hear them laughing and kind of, you know, praising. They're sharing testimonies. And as I hear that, I'm thinking about the space, how it was redone. And that's the result of tithes. And I'm hearing praise being given. And then as if it couldn't get any better, I'm sitting here and I start hearing the chanting of teams of kids downstairs as they go through their Bible verses and whatever else is going down there. I don't know. It sounded like a good time. And there's cheers and there's laughter. And I hear the voices of a next generation of followers of Jesus. And their curriculum was purchased as a result of tithe. And I hear the praise of that young generation. And this scripture verse is lived out in front of me. As a result of your giving, praise to the Lord will happen. And I'm watching adults praising the Lord. And I'm hearing new believers praising the Lord. And I'm hearing young believers downstairs praise the Lord. And this is the reality, friend, as we head to a close. Stay with me. I get to be a part of this. He actually gives me the opportunity to hear my own daughter downstairs praising the Lord as a result of our tithe being given. God, how, how can you be so good as to actually say, it's, I just picture, you know, God inviting me over. I, I grew up in a house where my dad would do carpentry projects and he would invite me over to the table and I would help him. And I just get that image of the father looking at us and saying, hey, come here. Let me invite you into something that I'm doing. Let me invite you into something that I'm creating, that I'm changing. You know all those prayers that you've prayed over the past couple of years? Lord, would you change our world? Would you change our country? Would you reach new people for Jesus? Would you change a generation? Let me invite you over here to be a part of that in the most simplistic way. If there's someone that struggles to tithe, I believe it's because it's rooted in inexperience. I can't help but think that person has probably never experienced what it's like to provide for somebody else in need. If there's somebody who struggles with giving offerings or tithing, I can't help but think and and assume that that person's probably never experienced what it was like to do the work of the Lord and walk away saying that person's life is changed because God used me. If there's somebody who struggles to tithe, I can't help but assume they probably have never really experienced what it was like to give and see fruit that you couldn't imagine. I close with this. You've heard me say this story before, probably. I went on a missions trip to Columbia, standing outside of a building few months before this missions trip, we took a big offering for a school project in another country. I come to find out that it's for the building that I'm looking at in Colombia. And I'm looking at this structure and I come to find out that it's now a Christian school, college specifically, where they are raising up pastors and missionaries in Colombia. 
And I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. Woman comes up next to us and says, I can't believe what's happening here considered what this building used to be. You have my curiosity. So through our interpreter, I'm like, what, what are you referring to there? Another comment that she made is she said, so much death. Okay. So the interpreter begins to talk to her and explains to me that that used to be one of the number one abortion clinics in Colombia. That building. Long story short, it went under, praise God. And now the place that once took life is giving life. And I'm standing there looking at this missions project that I got to give to. That God invited me into the process so that my dollars went out. I didn't see where they went. But then I'm standing in this place watching pastors and missionaries being raised up to change their world. And God actually invited me into the process. Would you stand with me? Giving is so vital to a Christian. Giving is so vital to a Christian life that it results in the Lord being praised. Can I challenge you, friend? If you haven't gotten into the habit of tithing, and I just want to also say this, I would never preach a message that I didn't live by. I would never ask the body of Christ to do something that I haven't already put into practice. So please understand that, that tithing is a biblical principle that, that I live my life by. I'm not asking you to do something that I've never done. But I want to challenge you. If you haven't gotten in the habit of tithing, I really want to challenge you to invite the Holy Spirit, to invite the Lord into that part of your heart. Because I promise you, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. The experiences that I just shared, you cannot pay. You cannot put a price tag on those experiences. And yet God gives us everything. And he says, you can keep what is 90% mine. I'll take the 10%. I'm telling you, you start living this out and you'll see changes in the world around you. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you so much that you invite us into these things, that you invite us, you, you, you equip us to be your hands and feet, even when all we have to do is drop our check in and we don't see where it goes, and yet we hear testimonies a time later of lives changed. Lord, we thank you so much that, that you invite us into this beautiful thing called generosity, that you invite us into this beautiful thing called giving, and that it is contagious. Now, Lord, would you help us to be a body of Christ, a people, Lord, who change the world around us because they see Jesus in us through our actions, through generosity, through giving. Lord, if our hearts have become hardened and we've fallen to the lie and the the misbelief, Lord, that our everything that we have is self-made and self-owned and me, me, me. Lord, whatever it takes to break that off of us, would you do it in Jesus' name? Now, God, help us to walk out of here in obedience, not just being, as James says, hearers of the word, 
but doers. And help us to live out this practice in our daily, weekly, monthly, yearly lives. We ask in Jesus' precious name. And everybody said, and everybody shouted, hey, I would love to have more action steps as a result of this, but all I can think of is let's just do it. Amen, church. I want to encourage you, if you go out to eat today, if you go and and pay $29.99 for a cup of coffee, whatever it is, can I challenge you to be generous? Pay for somebody next to you. Pay for the car behind you. Tip your servers well. Express generosity. Let's be a biblical church. Amen? Amen? God bless you as you go with the Lord. He's going with you. This has been an audio recording from Crossroads Community Church. If you'd like to get in contact with us or learn more about us, you can follow us on social media at C3Lehigh or email us at info at C3Lehigh.com. We'd love to hear from you.